Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 175 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I spoke with a science writer and journalist about the lumpy little tide pods disrupting ecosystems all over the globe, cane toads. We discussed toxic shoulder pads, retro nature documentary excellence, poison butts and teacher toads, ugly animals, and the complicated relationships that humans have with the wildlife around us. Just the Zoo of Us presents Cane Toads with Bethany Brookshire. Everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast. This week, we are here to talk to a brand new friend. This is Bethany Brookshire. Say hi, Bethany. Hello, Bethany. Okay, you got me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you gave me the opening. You come onto my podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> what are your pronouns, real quick? She, her. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much. And Bethany, you are here because you are a science writer and a podcaster who has taken on the mantle of being sort of the PR person for some quite unconventional animals that I think a lot of people look down on. Uh, They can be kind of maligned. So uh, I would love if you could introduce yourself for our friends listening. Let us know a little bit about Bethany. Yeah, so I actually started out life as a scientist. I was not a scientist of animals that we hate. I was actually a neuroscientist. But I ended up leaving academia, and I became a science journalist. And as I became a science journalist, I became totally fascinated with the animals that live with us, and particularly not like domesticated animals, but the animals that live around us, and the animals that live in the environments we've created. And I've also just become so fascinated by how much we hate them, because we so hate them. And it's just sad because these animals are amazing. Like, if you make it around us, you are iconic. (laughs) You have really done some amazing things with your evolution, and I salute you. So yeah, I mean, I don't don't necessarily always root for the pest. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I do sometimes. And um, so I wrote a book about it. And my book is called Pests, How Humans Create Animal Villains. Because the thing that I've learned most about the animals we hate is that when we hate an animal, it's because of us. It's because of what we think. It's because of what we want and because of what we believe about what our environments should be. So when when you say how people create the animal villains, do you mean like create the perception of them being villains or as in like put them in the situation in which they have become the villain? Both. Often it's a perception thing. Um, and you'll see as animals succeed in human environments. So for example, in the United States, you have like coyotes. People think coyotes in the wilderness are kind of cool sometimes. Like they, yeah. they go camping and they hear their little yipping yowls and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm in the wilderness. <laughs> Literally last night, oh, last yeah? night, we were, my husband was outside uh, grilling in our backyard and I stepped outside with him in a fire truck drove by like the road be- by our house with the siren going and the fire truck siren set off 
a pack of coyotes behind our house and they all just start yipping and yapping and howling, which then set off my next door neighbor's dog (laughs) who started howling back at them. So I like called my kids outside. I was like, y'all come listen to this. And I came out and listened and it was just gorgeous. I love those little litter puppies. They're the best. It was so sweet. Yeah. And so like, we love them when they're doing things that we're like, oh, these are wild animals. They're living in wilderness. But then when they come into our subdivisions and do things like eat our cats or attack our dogs, we're like, this is not okay. You do not belong here. You are a pest. The cats and the dogs that we brought in. (laughs) Yeah, about that. Um, (laughs) But then also we put animals into these situations. So for example, many of the animals that now live in urban environments, I mean, we brought them there. Pigeons did not fly across the Atlantic on their own. They are strong flyers, but they're not that good. (laughs) We brought them to North America. Or in the case of the animal we're talking about today, the cane toad, we brought them to Australia. We did that. That's on us. And we put them in that situation. And now we're like, how dare you succeed here? How very dare. (laughs) Wait a second. Too much, too much. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't mean for this to happen. Oh, no, the consequences of our actions. Yeah, like in... And, you know, I, I live here in Florida, where down in South Florida, we do have invasive cane toads. And it was so very jealous. much the same thing. <laughs> I don't think the people that live there are. No, I really am, though. The cane toads were introduced intentionally. Like, this was an on-purpose thing, where they were like, here you go. This will be great. Because it was a, it was a pest control thing. And what's funny is that, like, the first, in Florida specifically, like, the first few times they didn't take... And like people were trying really hard to get them to propagate in Florida. And then when they did, it was like, oh, what have we done? (laughs) Yes. And actually, it's really interesting because wherever you see cane toads, um, that is not Central America, which is where cane toads are native. Cane toads are native to mainland Central America. And wherever you see cane toads that is not there, <laughs> they have been introduced and they have been introduced on purpose. Like nobody just accidentally hides a cane toad up their pant leg and gets on an international flight. Like, it's <laughs> not how it works. <laughs> Because they're chunky. You'd notice that. They are some chunky boys. Yep. (laughs) So for people who are listening, who maybe aren't incredibly familiar with the concept of like an invasive species, I would love it if you could kind of explain what that means a little bit. So it's actually interesting because the phrase invasive species is both judgmental and also in flux, which is interesting. The the phrase invasive species is replacing the word pest. Because now we're like, oh, pest, vermin, that's mean. <laughs> we need to be more scientific about this. We're going to say invasive species. It sounds so sciencey. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the actual concept of an invasive species is an animal that has arrived in an area where it is not native. And some people stop there and say, okay, it's arrived, it doesn't belong here. The other part of that definition is that it is succeeding wildly and changing the ecosystem of that new place. And that is also, it's subjective, right? Like, sometimes, for example, there's a species of salamander on the East Coast that is moving. It's moving north, slowly, because of climate change. It can just make it further north now. But for the salamander, we now, because it's it's moving north kind of on its own, and because of climate change, we don't say that's an invasive species. We say it's a climate refugee. Oh. 
Yeah, huh. because it's not having what we perceive to be a negative impact. So mm-hmm. the phrase invasive species implies a negative impact to the ecosystem that mm-hmm. this animal is coming into. For people that are listening that don't live in an area where this toad either is native or has been introduced, can you give us a quick little introduction to the cane toad? What is what is a cane toad? Cane toads are, I want to start by kind of describing them because they are like the most toadliest toad. Like <laughs> they are. Like if you picture a toad in your head, you will see a cane toad. Even if you've never seen a cane toad before, picture the iconic ideal of what you think a toad looks like. That is what it looks like. It's got the little tweed vest and the little hat. I mean, it's true that they do not often wear their tweed vests in public. They they save those for formal occasions. It's a little warm for that. Um, yeah. And, you know, in tropical areas, it's often too warm for the vest. They're more of a linen sort of sort of weird. Seersucker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a cane toad is just they're kind of they're brown. They're warty. <laughs> They look like a toad. (laughs) And uh, one of my favorite things about them is the way their eyes are perched up on top of their heads. The the shape of the eye kind of makes it look like they have angry eyebrows all the time, (laughs) which I just adore. It's very hypnotoad. They're very hypnotoad. And they're also quite large. They are um, some of the largest toads, which is to say that they reach about 10 inches or 25 centimeters. um, And they are hefty, chunky boys. They are about 1.5 kilograms or 3.3 pounds. So, I mean, they're basically like an overflowing double handful of toad (laughs) size wise. You know, they're they're like snuggleable, I would say. I'm not the type of person that would... Frogs and toads are a little too jumpy for me to, like, want to interact with regularly. Like, I used to work at a pet store where they sold, like, Pac-Man frogs, and I was too scared of them to put my hand in just because of, like, the jumpiness of them. Oh, see, every time I'm on a hike and I find a frog, I have to go catch it. I'm not a frog snuggler. (laughs) I'm a frog snuggler. (laughs) Hardcore frog snuggler. And I would especially also like to take a moment to talk about the scientific name of the cane toad because it's hysterical to me. Please. So the scientific name of the cane toad, it was previously Bufo marinus, Bufo equal toad. But now it is also Renella marina. And what I love about cane toads is that it has previously had 20 other Latin naming attempts. Y'all give it a rest. <laughs> My personal favorite is Bombinator horridus. <laughs> I like when Horridus shows up in things scientific names. It's good, right? I, I, I just, I feel like that one has like, has has strong energy. Bombinator Horridus. Um, but yeah, basically taxonomists need to get their act together regarding the cane toad <laughs> because they do not know what they are doing. Can we land on something, please? Please pick something and stick with it. My favorite is the Bufo Marinus Renella Marina is actually a fight right now. It is a fight that taxonomists are having over the toad. And I'm just like, please, just this is semantics. It doesn't actually matter. Just pick one. <laughs> If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 uh, in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. So first up is effectiveness. This is things that are built into the animal's body that let them do a good job of the things that they're trying to do. So maybe this is things, tools built in that allow them to maybe like catch their prey or not to become prey themselves. Bethany, what do you give cane toads out of 10 for effectiveness? Can I give them 11? You can. Oh my goodness. (laughs) This is your show. Good. 11 (laughs) out of 10. This toad has it all. What can't she do? Uh, seriously, they are wildly successful. And so I was wondering, can I can I take the time to like tell you a story about the cane toad's success in Australia? I have to hear this story. Okay, so I'm going to take you back in time. We're going back to 1935. Everybody get in your time machine. 
Get in your time machine. Time is 1935. Everything's black and white. <laughs> we are going to Australia. <laughs> the wastes are cinched. Oh, yeah. Where they're trying to grow sugarcane in Australia. And they're having a rough time of it. And it is actually because of the cane grubs. Okay, which are cane beetle larvae. Um, there's several species of this, but it was the gray cane beetle that they were really upset about. Um, and they were looking for ways to control this bug that was causing them so much problems. And um, so they were looking for anything. They were casting widely. And they found that this scientist, Raquel Dexter, had dissected a bunch of cane toads in, I think, Puerto Rico. And she found that they would eat a lot of stuff. And some of the things they would eat are cane grubs. Now, to be real, cane toads are kind of like the garbage disposals of toads. Like, they'll (laughs) eat anything. (laughs) They eat bugs. They eat small rodents. They will eat dog food. (laughs) Dog food's fine. (laughs) They will eat garbage. (laughs) Like, if if it's moving, and even if it's not moving, (laughs) the cane toad is like, you know, I could eat that. This is like textbook generalist. Which is the issue. So basically, Dr. Dexter dissected these cane toads and saw that some of the things they ate were pests on sugarcane, including the cane grub and the cane beetle. And so people were like, this is awesome. And they started bringing cane toads places. And so Australians found out about this and were like, this is awesome. And they sent this guy, Reginald Montgomery, to Hawaii to bring back toads. Um, And he brought back 101 cane toads. Um, Originally, it was 102, but one died in transit. And you'd think, being scientists, what you'd want to do is you'd want to test this, right? You'd want to say, okay, um, we're going to test these toads and enclosures. We're going to see, you know, do they breed well? Do they cause any problems? You know, maybe um, what do they prey upon? Is this a problem? Are they sick? Anything like that. The scientists did none of these things. They're like, we're doing it live. Send it straight to <laughs> we're production. We're doing it live. Now, um, they did check to see if they bred first. Oh, they bred first. <laughs> they did great. <laughs> um, and all criteria met. Everything yes. looks great. In fact, like all they did was like pick the ticks off. <laughs> great. That's all they did. The uh, the cane toads actually in Australia carry lungworm to this day. Oh, <laughs> because Lord. they were just like, eh, it looks fine. I love science by just giving it a quick eyeball. Uh, yes. <laughs> And so they released them onto the farms and they were like, yay, we're out to save the cane. It's going to be wonderful. And the thing is, at the time, this was perceived as a really good thing. Because if you're doing this, you're not putting piles of pesticides on the sugar cane. This seems like Mm. a great idea. However, (laughs) Australians soon realized their terrible mistake because (laughs) the thing is, cane toads can eat cane grubs. The trick is catching them. And this is the issue because you see grubs live underground. Toads do not dig. Oh, no. The adult beetles fly. Toads do not. (laughs) So the whole, the time in which they could actually get the beetle was so completely small. Oh, no, because you got to get them in a real narrow window. Uh And uh, actually, believe it or not, uh, cane grubs are actually still a problem in Australia. So not only did not solve the initial problem, but introduced a fun new problem. (laughs) Well, and so people weren't sure that the cane toads themselves would be a problem. They didn't actually, they'll eat basically anything. Because of this, they don't really cause devastating destruction of particular native species in terms of what they eat. The problem 
is what eats them. And here is where we get to the true effectiveness of the cane toad. So the cane toad wears these timelessly fashionable shoulder pads, big <laughs> little shoulder pads. Very 80s. So 80s. Power suit. Uh, very power suit. Um, and these shoulder pads contain something called bufotoxin, which is the Latin phrase for toad toxin. And this toxin is really toxic. It is so toxic, it can kill a human. Do not lick. <laughs> Oh, don't lick it. Do not lick. Do not eat. Mm -mm. Um, (laughs) It won't kill you instantly, but like, don't put these on the menu. I feel like that's like a very old timey, like cartoon trope of like (laughs) licking a toad for a hallucinogenic like effect. And I think that's something that like they have stopped depicting in cartoons because they're like, oh, no, you're going to (laughs) die. I actually this is a famous Simpsons episode. (laughs) But then I think other cartoons picked it up from the Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, that was ground zero for so much, like, toad misconception. <laughs> Apparently, people have actually tried doing this. It's like the Tide Pod thing. <laughs> it probably has never been actually popular, but it's one of those right. things where when one person does it, everyone's like, nobody do this! <laughs> Why are you doing this? Um, anyway, so among the things that do lick cane toads and come to regret it are many of the natural predators of Australia. <laughs> So um, this is particularly snakes, um, crocodiles, quolls, which are these cat-like marsupials that are just cute as anything. So cute. They're so spotty and adorable. They're so cute. They're like up there in cute Australian fauna with the quokka, in my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, for sure. And then, of course, the other thing that eats them are goannas, which are monitor lizards. And the problem is that once you eat a toad, you will never again eat a toad because you will be dead. They have a KDR of one to one. (laughs) One to one death ratio. Um, And this was really awful. So when cane toads started breeding and started like hopping westward across the continent of Australia, 90% of the predators in an area would die. I mean, it was carnage. It still is carnage. As these toads arrive in new areas, because they are still spreading, no one has been able to stop them. It is still carnage every time. And, of course, when the predators are gone, the things they eat, like mice and rats and stuff like that, become more numerous because there are fewer predators to eat them. It throws the whole ecosystem off. And I just have to put in a plug for if you want to learn kind of the history of the cane toad saga. There is, it's free on YouTube. It is a documentary. It's from 1988. It is called Cane Toads, and Unnatural History. And it is hands down the best nature documentary that has ever existed ever. And I say this as someone who has seen the entire oeuvre of David Attenborough. Queensland toads, Queensland toads, they're everywhere you are. In this scene from the documentary, video clips of cane toads appear to hop slowly and menacingly towards the home of a man named John Oakes, who can be heard here singing in his shower. It's got toddlers that are giggling while they snuggle cane toads. It's got this dude in like an undershirt and very thick glasses noting emotionally how much he loves to watch cane toads mate. It is. That's okay. That's weird, but iconic. (laughs) It is so good. And like, I watched it as a kid in in like summer camp, and it always stuck with me. And so I watched it again while I was researching my book, and I made core memory. 
yeah, I made my husband watch it with me. And we get to the end of it and we're, we're just laughing. And he goes, you know, this it's actually really good. It's really yeah. good. You were describing this like influx of the cane to mm-hmm. corresponding with, you know, the decline of these predators. Does that timing line up with the thylacine's extinction? It does not. Okay. No, the thylacine so is unrelated. Before that. Unrelated. Okay. Um, the cane toads, I believe, have not driven any species to extinction. They have driven them to local extirpation, but oh, not to extinction. Okay. Um, so th- I, we were talking about ratings, and I gave the cane toad an 11 out of 10. And part of the reason is the toxic shoulder pads. The other part of the reason is the fact that the cane toads are adapting to Australia. Really? They're invading edge. So there's like a wave of invading cane toads. The invading edge of the cane toads has toads that hop further oh than gosh. toads that come behind. So it's involved, it's involved like sprinters <laughs> in oh my gosh. the cane toad population. <laughs> they have also uh, evolved tougher skin because Australia is dry. Um, so they've evolved tougher skin that loses less water. And they have evolved to be cannibals. <laughs> Well, that's a self-solving problem. <laughs> In some ways. Uh, but basically, when the leading edge of cane toads arrives, sometimes they won't have enough to eat, and so they will eat each other. <laughs> Great. Awesome. And they're they're even better at doing this than cane toads in their native range. They're kind of becoming this Australian version of the cane toad, which is just much more hardcore than your regular cane toad. They are metal. It would be an Australian version that's like, it's like the Mad Max cane toad. <laughs> yes. I kept trying to make that joke in my book and my editor didn't get it. I'm glad you get it. Anyway. No, I get what you mean. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and I give them 11 out of 10 because of all those. And also because they have completely changed the ecosystem of Australia. Like they have caused mass carnage, but they'll probably never be able to get rid of them. And at this point, that's kind of okay because they've kind of become part of the new fauna of Australia. Oh, that's interesting. Because the animals are starting to evolve to the presence of the cane toad. Really? Yes. Like which ones? So kites in Australia. Oh, the birds. The birds, yeah. They will attack cane toads and pull out their tongues and eat their tongues. <gasps> okay. All right. And so they've, they've navigated around the spicy bits. Navigated around the poison. Uh, Native Australian water rats will flip the cane toad over and attack the liver and lungs and stuff getting around the poison because the poison's in the skin. And uh, these snakes, uh, red-bellied black snakes, I think, were dying in large numbers because they were eating these cane toads. They evolved smaller heads. How could that help? Because smaller heads can't eat big toads. (laughs) So they had to physically restrict themselves from being able to eat the toads. They're like, no. Yes. We're no, you physically cannot eat this toad anymore. I mean, to be real, snakes are not much for deep thought. So <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Um, and they've also evolved some poison resistance. And so that's why I give them an 11 out of 10 for effectiveness. Because these cane toads are not only amazingly effective at what they do, they are altering the other animals around them to like live the cane toad lifestyle. <laughs> It reminds me a lot of the arms race between the uh, rough-skinned newts and the garter snakes yes, here yes. in America. Uh, how like the they're both just like buffing each other <laughs> constantly, trying to thwart each other. So I have to say though that some of the species have not evolved fast enough, um, and so scientists are actually helping them do this. So they have these things. It's a it's a technique called teacher toads. Teacher toad? Teacher toads. It gets even better. It involves poisoned toad butts. So basically, 
scientists get out ahead of the leading wave of the cane toads. Um, so right now that area is, area is the Kimberley, um, which is in Western Australia, and they're getting out of the, at the head of the wave of cane toads. And they are preparing the predators for the cane toad arrival. And they're doing this by feeding some of the animals like quolls toad sausages. So they're little sausages that are made of toad. And mm. yes, and they are laced with lithium chloride. Lithium chloride that doesn't sound good. <laughs> uh, it's, it's terrible. Lithium chloride is um, a chemical that is not poisonous. It will not kill you. Oh, good. It will not hurt you. It will not do anything. But it will give you the worst nausea you have ever experienced in your entire life. And so the quoll has a toad sausage laced with lithium chloride and is like, oh, no. <laughs> This is harnessing the technique of what's called conditioned taste aversion. Um, and so basically, if you've ever had a terrible bout of food poisoning, you will know that the last thing you ate before you ended up getting sick is the thing you avoid, even if that's not the thing that gave you the food poisoning. Oh, true, right? true. Because it can take some time to hit sometimes. Because it can take some time to hit. Um, but it's for the, re the reason, for example, that I don't eat tuna. Um, <laughs> I had a very bad experience. And it doesn't matter that it was 20 years ago. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've still got restaurants I don't go to because I got sick one time. Right. Um, that is conditioned taste aversion. Congratulations. You are just like a qual <laughs> that's been exposed to a toad sausage. It works. <laughs> it works. Um, and the same is true for freshwater crocodiles. Um, so right now there's a scientist in the Kimberley in Australia, Georgia Ward-Fear. She is tossing poisoned toad butts to freshwater crocodiles. These are the back halves of the cane toad. So the poison shoulder pads are gone. Um, and they've laced those with lithium chloride and they feed them to the crocodiles. <laughs> so, Oh, so the crocodiles don't eat them either. Yeah, so the crocodiles will figure it out. And then for goannas, monitor lizards, um, which are live prey specialists, they actually employ teacher toads. And teacher toads are baby toads. <laughs> they actually release baby cane toads. And the baby cane toads, the monitor lizards eat them. And they're too small to kill the monitor lizard, but they are large enough to give the monitor lizard an extremely potent memory. Oh, okay. So the good news is this is working. As I said before, predators, like 90% of them die when cane toads mm -hmm. invade. If you employ the toad butts, release the toad butts, <laughs> it drops to 50%. Oh, wow. It's still not great, but it is so much better. Yeah, it's yeah. an improvement. I just, I love this technique so much. <laughs> it's like we're educating the predators and they will not eat cane toads anymore. I love it. I also like having to take on the mantle of like, okay, we introduced an issue. How are we going to solve this issue? Let's run ahead of the issue and like as a messenger and like give a warning. Yes. Like, hey guys, something bad's about to be here. <laughs> you have no idea what you are about to see. But since we can't talk to them, we can't just say to the wildlife, hey, there's a toad coming in. Don't eat it. It's going to wreck your day. So we have to like communicate with wildlife in terms wildlife will understand, which yeah. is like eat thing, feel bad. So like it's an interesting way of like coming up with a language with which we can communicate to wildlife, like this thing will hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just gonna feed you something that makes you feel awful. Yeah, um, which is like works. an interest because that's what that's what the animals are understanding. They're like, eat bad. <laughs> Yeah, don't eat. <laughs> and it, it's really amazing. And I mean, it's also much more effective than um, previous efforts. So um, for a, a long time, and I believe they still do do this. Um, there are groups that just go out and kill cane toads by the bucketful. You can catch them and you can put them in a sack and you can stuff them in the freezer. And that does it. You know, you can whack them over the head. That also does it. And, you know, people do do that. It's not that effective. I mean, 
<laughs> a cane toad female will uh, lay thousands of eggs. Oh. That's a lot of very long nights. And you just, you can't catch them all, man. They're not Pokemon. I have come across many invasive frogs in our back porch. Uh, Cuban tree frogs are a big invasive species where I live. Loud ones, too. They're loud. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have to turn our TV up at night to hear it because the frogs are so loud. But I know that the guidance is to humanely euthanize a frog. Uh, if you Like an invasive frog, if you see one. I just don't have the heart to do it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not in me. I feel that. And the tadpoles, by the way, also poisonous. <laughs> great also toxic so then you have like a waterborne threat as well there is a waterborne <laughs> threat to this yes um so like small fish who eat the tadpoles um fish are by the way learning not to eat danger food do no touch good for them and um so yeah they're the tadpoles and then the tadpoles you know grow legs and become little teeny toads um and then the toads get bigger and become the classic large cane toad so yeah the tiny toads are i guess you could call them like teen toads you're like, maybe they're tweens. They're going through a phase. Yeah. Hair where there was no hair before, right? Maybe they're starting to get a little rebellious. Yeah. A little little edgy. Taylor Swift really speaks to them. We've all been there. We can all relate. So these are kind of these little indestructible tanks that are uh, plowing their way through wherever we'll have them. I, I feel like the limiting factor here is going to be kind of climate, right? Because... Yeah amphibians require a certain like temperature range and also like humidity range. That is true. Yes. Though, the, I mean, as I mentioned, these toads are evolving. They are right. becoming tough, <laughs> tough Australian leathery toads. Um, <laughs> and they're actually succeeding in much drier areas than you might think. They have been helped, however, in their spread by the fact that people water their lawns. Oh, shoot. Yeah. That'll, I mean, that's, it's something that like seems so innocuous. <laughs> Not only do people water their lawns, uh, they put lights out there at night and the lights attract bugs. Oh, so it's yeah. <laughs> all you can eat, man. We basically crafted a utopia for toad. Um, so utopia. Utopia. I'm, I love this. Uh, but yeah, so one of the ways that they're actually kind of trying to stop this westward advance is actually to create areas that are too dry for the toad to cross. And sometimes this works. Uh, sometimes you get a free rainstorm. <laughs> oh. uh, you know, but um, they are going to be limited. For example, they will never spread into places like the Australian Alps. The Australia, by the way, does have Alps. And so like they get snow there and you're not going to get a, a cane toad in the snow. Um, similarly, you're never going to get cane toads spreading too far north because they do need that kind of like warm tropical climate. That said, they can often make it through some dry periods um, because a lot of tropical climates have kind of monsoon weather patterns. So they're used to kind of dry seasons, wet seasons, dry seasons. And so they can make it that way. But yes, the, the limiting factor is going to be climate. You are not going to find a cane toad in like the Australian outback where it's super, super dry. One thing that sucks about that is that those conditions are not set in stone. So we're seeing this in Florida a lot, whereas the climate is changing and the more northern temperatures rise, uh, that is allowing a lot more of those invasive species that up until now have been kind of secluded in the southern tip of Florida. Uh, so Burmese pythons, for example, they can't get up much past like Tampa and Orlando because north of that, in the winter, we get regular freezes. It doesn't snow, but it'll freeze. And that is enough to prevent a lot of those species that rely on warmer temperatures. They can't get past that. Or at least it used to. It used right. to freeze. 
<laughs> yes. So as the freezes become less frequent and as the average temperatures rise, those invasive species who have been sequestered into that tip, they can move up and move up into the north, which means that if they move north enough, they can escape the peninsula and yeah. make it into the rest of North America. And that's actually one of the things that I found kind of learning about invasive species in general is that climate change is really good for them. Just because climate change tends to promote weird and wacky weather. And another example of, of this is actually in Australia. Australia has these things called mouse plagues. Mouse plagues? I'm sorry, plague? Literal plagues of mice. Oh, no. Plagues of mice. As in, like... This sounds biblical. Carpets <laughs> of mice on the road. Oh, it's biblical, all right. <laughs> oh, no, it's bad. They get so many mice. And, and so the problem is this is actually exacerbated by climate change and by the fact that like sometimes they're having warmer winters and more mice survive the winter to produce a mouse plague in the spring. Uh, their winters and springs are getting wetter. And so the mice are doing better. Um, and so you have more of these conditions. And so, you know, the same thing happens with cane toads. You know, you get warmer conditions, you get slightly wetter conditions, and the cane toads are like, this looks awesome. Like, I love this. This rules. <laughs> you made this for me? You did this for me? <laughs> We're so good at it. Like, you're welcome. <laughs> I know. Hey there. We're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to rate ingenuity and aesthetics for cane toads. So stick around. My fellow graduates, for 500 episodes, my podcast, The JV Club with Janet Varney, has gathered story after story of all the scandalous things we've done throughout our childhoods. Wait, what's happening? Stories like how Jamila Jamil survived a horrific house party and she was on crutches. This is great. Or how Hal Lublin learned a Shakespearean monologue in his pajamas. This is not the speech we approve. Without your love and life tragedies, there would be no podcast. In fact, I'll have an exclusive look at how Maggie lost. Lawson's mom confronted her after a sneaky basement meetup with her crush. Spill the tea, JV. Security! Uh, uh, listen to the JV Club with Janet Varney Thursdays on Maximum Fun! Class of forever! Hey, I'm Ben. And I'm Adam. We host a show called Greatest Trek on Maximum Fun that covers all the new Star Trek shows, Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, Picard, Prodigy, Discovery, and any other new Star Trek show Paramount throws at us. Come find out why we're the most important Star Trek podcast on the internet with our funny, <laughs> informative recaps of all the new Star Trek shows that Paramount keeps churning out. Subscribe to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. So we've talked about, you know, ways that the cane toad is sort of passively well suited to thriving in areas where it maybe wasn't intended to be. So the next like category that we rate animals on is ingenuity, which is actual behavior. So things that they're actually actively doing to solve problems that they face or thrive in the environment, either where they're from or where they have been brought. Uh, what do you give cane toads out of 10 for ingenuity? I'm sorry, my boys. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to give you like a five out of ten. Toads are... <laughs> Toads are a lot of things. Toads get it done, but they're not getting it done because they're brilliant. Right? They're not solving things with wild behavioral changes. They are toads. <laughs> Just a mouth with legs. Yeah. Not a lot going on in there. But I mean, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> 
right? Like cane toads have been around since the Miocene, okay? They've been around for up to 20, and I mean that the actual species of cane toad that we see today has been around for more than 10 million years. So clearly it's working. They're doing great. (laughs) Which, I mean, it's so funny because it's almost like they're just kind of like bumbling their way through life, but like stumbling upward. You know, it's good to be a mouth with legs. But the thing is, I wouldn't mind being a mouth with legs. I kind of am, actually. So they can't appreciate how good they're doing. You know, like they can't uh, look back on, they'd be like, oh, look at how much havoc we have wrecked. I mean, on the other hand, if they could appreciate it, maybe they'd feel bad. That's true. Maybe it's in their best interest. Ignorance is bliss. And also, I mean, that is to say, like, we are humans. We cannot experience the mind of a cane toad. It is entirely possible that, like, the cane toad is in there writing the cane toad version of Shakespeare, and we don't know it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, we have to, we have to, you know, admit that, like, the rankings that we're talking about are human subjective, right? They're, like, kind of based on human standards. (laughs) And based on what we can even perceive, right? Right, Like, they could be behaving in a way that is not something we... uh, Like, you know, there are animals that communicate with each other using, like, sounds we can't hear. Exactly. So, it could be... Maybe they have something very complex going on that we just haven't noticed yet. (laughs) Right. I mean, then certainly they communicate with each other via sound. You know, they obviously, like, find each other and mate and, like, that sort of thing. You know, there's there's all sorts of experiences they're probably having that we just can't understand. I hope someday we could. I'd love to, like, (laughs) see the world through a cane toad's eyes and see what's going on. I've never heard what they sound like. Uh, They ribbit. They make a toad noise. (laughs) I'm going to look up what they they sound like real quick. The deep croaking calls of a cane toad in Australia. Or cane toad mating call up close in 4K. It's pretty. Oh, they're so cute. Yeah. It's like a little trill. Yeah. They do like a very cute little trill. They're okay. The up close video, they are actually pretty cute. <laughs> I, I kind of think it's their most winning feature. It's really. See, I feel like if I, if I encountered one of these, I wouldn't have it in me to like euthanize it you know like i would just my my heart is just too soft on you know you're not the only one so um there are people in australia and i mean some of them are covered in the amazing documentary cane toads and unnatural history (laughs) no one is paying me to say that honest (laughs) it's so good um but there are people who keep them as pets uh there are people who deliberately feed them like they buy cat food or dog food and feed cane toads there are people who really do admire and enjoy them you know like everybody every animal has got its fans i like the idea of approaching them by like it's like a program to get the cane toads off the streets like there's like a an after school program for to cane toads. Like, <laughs> enrich the cane toads but like let's just give them a nice cushy plushy life and human care and that's how we'll i mean it. i think they'd quickly outbreed all of your <laughs> <laughs> all of your housing they uh they really they really can get it on what you could do is have a pet cane toad what do you feed it other cane toads <laughs> oh that's rude though if you don't have the heart to kill a cane toad yourself do you have the heart to watch a cane toad eat another cane toad i mean that's dark i'm just thinking this is, is a dark. very cost effective pet I'm just saying you mentioned earlier that they've become cannibalistic. So it's they an have. option. I mean, to be fair, actually, uh, cane toads can become cannibalistic in pretty much any situation. But in Australia, they are exceptionally so. <laughs> that makes me Are they immune to their own poison? Yeah. Yeah. I guess they'd have to be. You, you have to be. The, and there's also like, you know, we, we say that like it's really horrible. Like, oh, no, they, they eat each other. So do people. 
it's a survival strategy mm-hmm. and it works. And for a toad, they probably don't perceive it as being that much different from eating whatever else they're already eating. <laughs> Most likely not. I mean, as we mentioned, mouth with legs. Not a yes. lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing going on behind those beautiful bodies. They're not sitting there going, I eat, therefore I am. I croak, no. therefore I am. <laughs> But since we were talking about this one that I was looking at being quite cute, this brings me to probably the most arbitrary of our categories that we rate animals on, which is aesthetics. It's just how nice is this animal to look at? What do you give the cane toad out of 10 for aesthetics? So that's the thing. It is subjective, right? Like if I were another cane toad, I would probably look at this toad and be like that. That is a pinnacle of sexiness. That is beautiful. Their standard of beauty. Right. I don't know. I could be looking at this cane toad and being like, oh, he's so big and warty. Yes, be still, my heart. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably super into like a a huge throat sack. I mean. Like the throat sack is probably like. Who doesn't love a big throat sack? Am I right? (laughs) Um, But the reality is I am not a cane toad. And I have to say, they're kind of mad looking. (laughs) Especially when you compare to other frogs and toads that are actively cute. Like, consider the pumpkin toadlet solid 12 out of 10 wood snuggle. I like that the cane toad has a dinosaur look going on. Yeah, but I I mean, I think that the aesthetics of the cane toad lend themselves more to kind of a creepy horror than they do to active adorableness. I could see that. They do kind of look bubbly. And I say this as someone who actually has a more than life-size cane toad puppet. Oh my gosh. Stuffed cane toad puppet. What do you use that for? He's great. What don't you use it for? Was this a gift or was this something that you uh, acquired intentionally? It was actually a gift. Um, It was a gift from my high school boyfriend, believe it or not. extremely on brand. I have kept it ever since. And I think it was just like, he didn't know what I would become. (laughs) I think he just got me as a person. It was an early sign. (laughs) It was an early sign. Um, Yeah, I still have that thing. It's great. Oh, my gosh. See, I feel like that's a content opportunity right there. Start a little like kids YouTube channel or something like that. Cane toad facts. I, I mean, I do have actually, so I have a TikTok that right now is mostly me with a sock puppet, <laughs> like a literal sock puppet. When you have a cane toad um, <laughs> puppet right there. Oh, I have more than a cane toad puppet. So you have puppets. I have a cane toad puppet. I have a rat puppet. I have a uh, full-sized Muppet. Okay, so you have puppets then. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I am not actually a puppeteer. These are just things that people give me. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you seem like a puppet kind of person. but yeah for aesthetics i'm gonna i'm gonna have to say like five out of ten like they are very toadly looking they are they are deeply toadly and if you're into toad they are toadly the quintessential toad it is the quintessential toad. it's the toad starter kit right but but at the same time like that's part of the reason that people do go out in australia and kill them <laughs> because they're ugly. Um, this is something that I've actually thought about a lot in writing the book about pests is one of the things that makes something a pest is we don't like it. We think right. it's ugly. We think it's disgusting. We think it's scary, you know, like snakes. Right. A lot of people don't like snakes um, or, you know, rats. People find rats really disgusting, you know. And so a lot of times that actually will kind of like add to the je ne sais quoi that makes us say this thing is a pest. And also, like, 
there's a strong mammal bias. Strong too. mammal bias. When something's not a mammal, we're usually a little more comfortable with thinking like, oh yeah, we can kill this thing off and it's fine. But when something is a mammal, especially a cute mammal, then we have we tend to get granted a lot more grace. And that's something actually I found kind of funny is when you, you know, look into aesthetics and aesthetics is like the study of beauty or art. And they'll say, okay, what is cuteness? And cuteness, they'll say, is like baby features. So it's like, you know, a really small nose, a really small chin, like a small mouth and like super big eyes. This is what cuteness is. Toads have all those things. That's why a lot of cartoons look that way. But that's the thing. Toads have all those things. Bugs have all those things. A lot of bugs have gigantic, beautiful eyes, and we are not calling them cute. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You want eyes? Spiders have eight. Some of them are quite large. They're cartoonish. Yes, cartoonishly large. Very kawaii. And yet we are not thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) You know, big eyes alone do not cute make. (laughs) Yeah, so I think a lot of times we'll see a lot more aggressive efforts towards invasive species that don't happen to also be cute. Yeah, it's it's also interesting how um, conservationists, when, when conservationists try to kind of preserve species that are not traditionally cute, they try to like cutify them. <laughs> um, one of my favorite examples of this is there's a rat. It's a native rat. It lives in Florida. It lives in the Florida Keys. It's called the Key Largo Wood Rat. Um, and it is a little little ratty looking dude. And um, it's, it's actually a real cute little rat. Uh, but in an effort to kind of drum up better PR, they wanted to rename it the Key Largo Koala. That's a little <laughs> much. Koalas sound better. You it did not work. to do that. It didn't work. No, you can do, you can go a different direction with that. Because I, I was just Googling them while you were talking. They're cute, right? There's not a ton of work needed to be done to cutify them. This no, thing's adorable. They're floofy. I do think that you could maybe lean into a cottage core sort of vibe with it yeah. and instead of calling it a wood rat maybe call it like a little tree mouse oh there we go a forest shrew a little <laughs> a little guy a little fairy you know a little woodland nymph the key largo fairy mouse <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean they're already cute i don't feel like there's a i don't feel like it's a long leap i think they just i think the original wood rat name was just a swing and a miss kind of um, but yeah, you see that with a lot. So for example, if you have like endangered salamanders or endangered snakes, um, conservationists, you'll get artists like drawing them with like bigger eyes and kind of cute little facial expressions. <laughs> trying to, it a little trying bit. to cutify it, trying to make people be like, all right, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, make them feel better. Um, I was thinking about this because of uh, I was listening to one of your recent episodes on sharks. And yeah, I mean, people have tried to cutify sharks too. <laughs> Give them bigger eyes. It's largely working, though. I think it's working. Yeah, I mean, maybe, and you know, there, there is that, or we could, as humans, just expand our definition of cute. Yeah. Right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I've been seeing a lot of uh, like media for younger kids now that is more geared towards like and and it is cutifying the animals but like all children's media cutifies everything so everything is being big headified but like there's one that i saw on netflix it was i think it was called shark dog <laughs> have you seen this no have you seen it I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Okay. It's shark dog and it's about a little shark dog. I don't know how else to explain it. It acts like a puppy dog and kind of looks like it reads like a puppy dog, but it's a little shark and it's just adorable. 
And it's really, really cute. But there's also like Lucas the Spider, mm-hmm. which is a really cute little show about a jumping spider. I mean, jumping spiders are so great, though. They literally did not have to like deviate at all from a regular jumping, jumping spider. Are so good. Yeah, he's so cute. I need a jumping spider TikTok dance to take off. You could do it with little like flags or some sort of like ribbon element. Yeah. You know, get, get a rhythmic little... gymnast in there. <laughs> yeah, I think you could do it. Um, I'll I'll talk to uh, Sebastian Echeverry and uh, see if he can come up with something because he came up with that, or uh, he was he was on Ologies to talk about um, the jumping spider and they made a little song that would uh, be based so on the great. jumping spider. Yeah, I think he could come up with a a, j- a dance that goes along to it. But yeah, I mean, I do think that it is a little unfair that cane toads have kind of had contributing to their aura. Like, they, they are indeed doing ecological damage. There is no doubt about that. <laughs> they they are causing problems. But also, it just seems unfair to be like, and also, they're ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and your mom is ugly. Like, that's just rude. <laughs> Like, you didn't need to throw that in there. We were already. And and then that makes you, that kind of primes you to be against all ugly animals, right? Because then that makes you think, well, well, this ugly animal is a problem. Surely, then we can apply that to the other ugly animals. Right. And I mean, that's certainly the case um, for things like snakes. Um, a lot of a lot of snakes like the number of times people post a photo of a snake and be like I'm gonna kill it and I'm like that is a rat snake it's actually a great thing to have around if you don't have chickens um, but anyway ugly animals uh, get the short end of the stick all too often I'm glad that you and I are here I for know we're, I'm always standing up for the for the animals that maybe aren't they're not likely candidates to be a lot of people's favorite animal <laughs> Such as the cane toad, except for much different reasons. Yes. I mean, yeah, to be fair, they do cause a lot of ecological damage. And, you know, I mean, it it is shocking uh, when they first invade an area. It is bad. I mean, it's like, talk about landscape full of bloated dead crocodiles. Bad. Yeah. And then you, like, you lose the iconic species there that are, like, really culturally significant to people, or even just, like, you'll lose a keystone species, and then that throws everything else out of whack. So right. it's, uh, ecosystems are a lot more delicate than I think people think they are. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, the good thing is, you know, that now they're employing these amazing efforts with toad butts <laughs> um, <laughs> to kind of, you know, help the animals adapt and kind of help the ecosystem handle this onslaught. And the good news is also is most of the cane toads, like you see most of the cane toads at the leading edge of the wave. After the invasion has kind of moved on, the numbers calm down. Oh, good. It gets a little more chill and and the ecosystem kind of reasserts itself. So, you know, that's good. And the reality is they're probably never going to get rid of them in Australia, but Australia can take it. Australia can handle it. If anywhere in the world can do it. <laughs> I believe in you, Australia. <laughs> it's Australia. With a, with a few toad butts, you got this. No, she's Australia. She got hands. She's ready. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe over time, in millions of years, the cane toad will have become part of like a like a, a more healthy part of the ecosystem there and probably evolved into its own species by then i mean probably yeah i mean consider the fact that they're they are native to a place they are native to central mm-hmm. america and in central america the the predators know that's a no touchy toad <laughs> yeah we have this problem here too where like the, the an animal will come in and like the predators literally just don't recognize it mm-hmm. and they're like i have no idea what that is i'm not going to eat that and then the, the lionfish this is a huge problem with lionfish like lionfish would come into the reef and the predators in our reefs would be like 
don't know what that is. Looks nasty. Not going to eat it. <laughs> Even if they could. I mean, lionfish are helped by the fact that they do look nasty. Yes. So, you know, it's literally just because they haven't been there long enough for the predators to figure out what they are. Right. I mean, the toad <laughs> is kind of uh, like the, the assistance in terms of their deadliness is partially because they do just look like a helpless little mouth with legs. They're not fighting right. back. <laughs> they don't need to. It does make me wish they had some sort of like aposematism. Like if we could get some like bright warning colors in there, that yeah. would be pretty choice. That'd be great. Or maybe like spikes. Something. Some sort of warning system. Teeth. <laughs> now a toad with teeth. I don't think I'm on board with this. Oh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've never in my life seen a toad with teeth. I hope I never do. <laughs> I've never seen a toad with teeth. I never hope to see one. But one thing that I know, one thing I know to be true, I'd rather see than be one. (laughs) I'm just imagining a toad with like a full set of human teeth. I know. Horrifying. On that note, now that I've uh, now that I've viscerally scarred everybody, I would love it if we could take a minute to let our friends listening know where can they find your work? Where can folks uh, order your book? Where can folks listen to your podcast? Uh, where where can people keep up with you? Yeah, thanks. Um, so my book is called Pests, How Humans Create Animal Villains. There is a section on cane toads, but there's also a lot of other things. And you can find that wherever fine books are sold. Um, it's out on December 6th. And you can also hear my podcast, which is Science for the People, which is exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, we do long form interviews with scientists and authors and stuff like that about science and the way that science impacts society. It's pretty fun. Uh, you can also find my writing. I am a journalist and I write for a lot of cool outlets like Science News, Scientific American, uh, New York Times, stuff like that. And you can find links to all of that on bethanybrookshire.com. And I am at B-E-E Brookshire across most of the social medias, depending on which are alive or dead at the time. But I will have links to everything. I have links to your book, links to your socials. Everything will be in the episode description. So folks listening can just scroll down and click through. Uh, Thank you so much, Bethany, for joining us. This has been a delight. I've learned a lot. I've learned a a lot about our uh, deceptively humble looking toad friend. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope that this bumpy little menace has invaded your heart. If you liked what you heard, I hope that you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. Links to everything will be in the episode description. You can send me an email at ellen at just the zoo of us.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about on the show. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network, alongside the other amazing shows like the ones that you heard promos for earlier in the episode. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. See you all next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.